We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Your division a lot. It is yeah. not an easy one, though. Yeah, our division is tough. Now, yeah. you know, CP is, CP is now in our division, yeah. yes. Phoenix is going to be... Yeah, they are. They, uh, I mean, my, my my guy, James Jones, has done a hell of a job over cool. there. Shout out, champ! Shout out, champ! Shout out, champ! Shout out, champ! He's done a hell of a job. And, and not only acquiring uh, CP3, but he is building that team. He's got some really, really good things going on over there to add to the all-star future superstar in Devin Booker. So our, our division is going to be loaded. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Very excited about this episode. This will be our third year in a row doing this with the same guest. I'm excited. Sam, you're here with me. Are you excited as well? Yeah, of course I'm excited. Uh, this is just the, something about the way you said that. Um, this is always one of my favorite episodes every year, and I don't know why. I'm not much of a gambling man myself, but... Uh, they're Maybe it's just because anyway. <laughs> I know. Maybe it's just because I love the uh, the guest we have on so much, and and all of our opportunities to talk to him, um, the official lawyer of the Timeline Podcast. <laughs> That's right. Joining <laughs> us, former host of the Seven Seconds or Less Podcast, Max McCauley. Max, how are you doing? 
I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I love being uh, the lawyer for you guys. You're great clients. You don't ask me to do very much besides talking that's... about my favorite team. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's nice. But we don't pay you anything either. So that is true. It's a, <laughs> it's a mutually beneficial relationship, I think. But yeah, I can't be more excited, man. Like of the three years we've been doing this, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue this is the most exciting year we've done it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the easiest team to talk about. And, and in some ways, I was talking to you guys before we recorded, one of the harder ones to predict as far as like actual stats because it's difficult. Like I, I, we have all been watching Chris Paul our like our whole basketball lives for a lot of us. I mean, he's been in the NBA a long time, a 10 time uh, all-star at this point, but it's almost hard to picture what it's going to be like on this team and on a day-to-day basis. And in this specific season where things are going to be so weird. And for those who are listening, who haven't heard one of these episodes, basically what we do is I create all of these fake over-unders. Some of them are now based on, some that are listed online. Uh, And then we just sort of talk through the season using those over-unders as sort of a way to preview the season. And then at the end of the season, we come back on and we all see how we did, see who was the best at really just guessing where a lot of these things are going to lie at the end of the season. Um, I think it's really fun. I hope you guys will enjoy it. I will also put in the uh, link to this podcast on Twitter, in the description of the podcast, a Google form that you guys can also fill out to guess your specific guesses for these over-unders, and then you can track those as the season goes along as well. Before we get to the over-unders, I did want to talk about Media Week. If you, if that, I guess that's what they're calling it. Usually it's Media Day, right, where everyone gets together at the practice facility and, and takes pictures and interviews all the players. This year is obviously different, as everything is, and... Uh, it was interesting to see all these players. One thing I thought was cool is that they uploaded all the interviews onto YouTube. So we had a chance to see it all. Uh, Max, I know you were following it. Sam, I know you're following it. Max, did you have anything that stood out to you through this media week from all the players or the coaches or James Jones or anyone that we saw interviewed this week? Yeah. You know, it's something that it wasn't just media week, but it was highlighted at media week. It was, uh, we heard a lot about this from a lot of the players, especially the free agents that they've joined, but, uh, just kind of the overall impression of the organization that these players, especially the ones who just who just came on, the Chris Pauls, even each one more, Jay Crowder, how much they said the bubble mattered to them and how much they seemed to really esteem the Phoenix Suns as a franchise. It just, I mean, you guys have been covering the scene for a little while now. We've all been fans for a long time. It's just weird to hear that. It hasn't been like that since the Nash era. So just to hear that the reputation yeah. of this team has gotten so much better in large part because of the eight, no bubble performance and, and Monty Williams. I mean, it's just, it's refreshing, right? It's about the mm-hmm. best thing you could possibly hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think Monty Williams was the biggest uh, or, or the, the most common call out mm-hmm. for me. Like I, I think James Jones was mentioned a few times, but, but the number of guys who talked about buying into Monty Williams, I think like even the small guys like Etwan Moore, was one of the last guys they talked to yesterday, talked about Monty Williams. Um, Jay Crowder talked about him. Dario Saric kind of talked about his revived role and, and how he trusted Monty and, and his system. And yeah, it, it, it is weird, Max. It is weird. Um, for myself, I think, you know, I, I typically don't buy into media day and media week narratives all that much. It's sort of kind of the last event um, that closes out the off season before we get going in, in, in training camp and preseason. And by that point, usually I just want to see them play basketball. So I'm not super interested in hearing what the players have to say. I will say the one thing that stood out to me from having watched all of the interviews on YouTube in full 
Uh, DeAndre Ayton does seem to be on his own plane a little bit compared to some of these other guys. <laughs> and and you can just you could just tell the tone. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, maybe you guys disagree, but I don't think it's a bad thing. But Chris Paul came in. Devin Booker came in. They serious tone. Uh, they they talked about like kind of basketball strategy, and uh, and then DeAndre Ayton came in and he was a goofball. And you know we kind of know that about him at this point, and we know not to take everything he says uh, all that seriously. And and I think if you kind of strip away those expectations of, oh, he's not going to say anything all that worthwhile here or of substance in a basketball sense, then he's really entertaining to to hear speak. Um, but it, it definitely stood out as, as just being different. Sam, so you say you're not interested in what players have to say, but are you interested in what players have to read? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he did talk about that too. I am not usually, um, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how uh, – he, he couldn't remember the name there. Um, Mike, I know you have a theory about that. I I, re- I thought maybe he was reading Moby Dick and he forgot the name Moby Dick, which I thought was just a hilarious thing to remember because it's Moby Dick. Like, how do you forget, how do you forget Moby Dick? I do remember when LeBron showed up uh, to the playoffs and he was reading The Art of War, like very publicly <laughs> reading Sun Tzu's The Art of War in the playoffs to try and, I don't know if he's trying to like psych out the other team or something, but I thought that was funny. That's the only other story about an NBA player reading something that I could remember. Didn't I Nash say, have like a communist manifesto or something from Karl Marx in his locker room? I, I <laughs> vaguely remember a scandal about that. That'd be a no different way. story now. <laughs> no way. Story. Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah. It was something like that. It was something very leftist. You know, he's very obviously progressive, <laughs> yeah. whatever. And they, sure, sure, sure. It was sure. in the mid 2000s. It was for the Iraq War or whatever. People made a big deal out of it. I, don't I know. do it remember that, actually. Yeah, I do remember that. Sam, yeah. you were nine years old, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember that. I will say just on Aiton, I don't, I'm not super charmed by uh, the entertaining thing in those interviews because I don't know. I don't really watch those necessarily to be entertained. I'm not really annoyed by it either. I just, I just don't kind of feel either way about it. I wish that we could really see him sit down and have a really serious interview and see how he actually thinks on certain stuff because I feel like we've gotten to the point with DeAndre in where I just don't care what he says in interviews. And I think a lot uh, exactly. of Suns fans are there. It just doesn't matter in mm-hmm. any way because it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. I, 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 you know, I guess I prefer my NBA players in interviews to be a little bit more like Devin Booker, who's like, you know, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, than like DeAndre Ayton, who's a little bit more like Dwight Howard, to be honest. Yeah. That's kind of what it reminded me of in these interviews. And um, yeah, I, I, I prefer it's his job. I'd prefer it to feel a little bit more like his job, but it doesn't bother me in any way either. Um, yeah. So we'll see if it trans anything that he said translate onto the court. And I did one word stuck out to me in these media week interviews and it wasn't sailors uh, and it wasn't <laughs> book. Uh, it was championship. Mm-hmm. And they said it a couple times and it was mostly James Jones. And it was mostly Mikhail Bridges, but they still said it. And I don't feel like that has stuck out to me in any way. Obviously, in the three years, in the three seasons, if you will, that this podcast has been around. Uh, but like the last time I heard a Suns team talking about that in any sort of serious way was when Steve Nash was on the team. And I think from an outside perspective, like if you're a non-Suns fan, if you're somebody who's not really close to following the Suns, if you hear a Suns player mention competing for a championship, you probably laugh, which is a fair thing to say at this point. But I think that if anything, it highlighted the expectations that come with 
Chris Paul being on your team and that sort of legendary status that he has when he's on your team, you have to take the idea of competing for a championship seriously. That's from the players to James Jones to Robert Sarver to an extent. You kind of have to take that seriously because I don't think that Chris Paul would want to be in an organization that doesn't at least approach that in a serious way in the media. Did that stand out to you, Max? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think James Jones means what he's saying. I don't think he's just saying that. And I think, and I've actually thought about this a little bit. It's the first time I can remember, it's definitely since Nash, and I just don't remember having this feeling of, you know, the Suns, it's not likely in any sense, but it's possible they could win the championship if everything breaks their way. And probably because they make a huge trade, which I think, I don't know if we're going to have a chance to talk about this. Probably not. I think that some Suns fans are underrating the possibility that could happen. If, if, you know, say the Lakers suffer an injury and maybe the Clippers do too, and there's, you know, James Jones smells blood in the water. This team is really well equipped to go out and get somebody uh, to yeah. add to Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And I think that is the scenario in which they could win a championship, actually. And James Jones is not someone who strikes me as uh, being scared to do a trade like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I was just talking about that online this week as well. I think, um, you know, when you have two superstars, uh, things things can be changed around them a lot easier than when you don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) then Mm -hmm. you know that that matters a lot um and you know for suns fans maybe uh consider that going into the season when you think about your attachment to players we've seen how quickly some suns fans have turned on guys that are gone uh so just consider that going into the season when you're thinking about what could and couldn't happen because when you're james jones and you take the idea of a championship seriously that means that you could potentially trade good players at this point. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I didn't have any over under on, on uh, players being traded. I know sometimes we did, did talk about that in previous uh, over under episodes, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me in any way. Anything else that you had, Sam, that you wanted to talk about from media week, or do you have any impression uh, of the championship talk? Not really. I think you covered every base there. Um, just, yeah. An- another reminder that, these James Jones does not care uh, what any of us think in the fan <laughs> yeah. base. And, and he's not afraid to make those moves. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, Kelly Oubre was a fan favorite for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Cameron Johnson was expected to be drafted in the twenties. Jalen Smith was expected so was to be Smith, drafted yeah. in the twenties. he still did it and uh, he wasn't afraid to do it. And I talked about it too. Even Ricky Rubio wasn't supposed to make that much money. TJ Warren shouldn't have been traded with a second round pick, but he did it because he had things that he wanted to do. I don't think he cares. He'll do what he thinks is best. He has a philosophy. It's about, it's not about acquiring asset value, about acquiring youth. It's about acquiring players. He thinks are going to work really hard and make his basketball team better. And listen, people can complain about the asset stuff all they want. It's it's absolutely true. Some of those trades don't make sense from that perspective, but look at the team now and look at it when, when he took over, it's impossible to say he hasn't done a good job. It's impossible. Right. Exactly. And you know, we haven't, uh, talked about it. You you came on immediately after the bubble to to cover our over unders that we had recorded over a year ago, <laughs> I think for the previous season. And your impression of the bubble was, um, you know, as all of ours was. It, we were all very high in the team afterwards. Um, since then, obviously, a lot of moves have been, have been made, Max. And you just said it. it. Seems like you're you're all in on the moves that James Jones has made. It, you know, I don't know if you had an opportunity to express how you felt about the off season, but what do you think? I, I mean, A++++. Plus, 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 plus. I, it couldn't be better. And I think the more I think about it, the better it gets in my mind. Like, obviously, you know, when Chris Paul is, is a hypothetical, you don't really think about some of the ancillary stuff, right? You just think about, all right, well, he's this old, he's been this good, is he going to fall off a little bit in the court? Like, that's the only stuff you're really thinking about. 
But when you actually get him onto the team and see the effect he has on the entire culture and on other players coming here, like I don't know if Jay Crowder comes here, if he's not on the team. Uh, it's just, it's so much, it's just so much more than basketball. He's the president of the players union. There's just a certain respect he commands. And I think that's something that we should be taking into account when we're evaluating trades in the future. Like when you get somebody of Chris Paul's caliber, there's just a whole lot to it. And it's made us a real, a real respected organization. I think pe- people are going to, you know, we, we got, what is it? Nine national TV games at ESPN and TNT. Yeah. It's insane. We yeah. got more than like the Nuggets and the, and more than the, the Rockets, and the Rockets <laughs> and the Jazz. A lot of teams that were obviously better than us last year, the Raptors, like that, that, that stuff matters, man. It really does. The perception matters. And I think that that's really been my biggest takeaway since that trade. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think both Sam and I do. Look, I was on the Chris Paul train um, as early as I had even considered it, I guess. <laughs> Once I considered it, I wanted it to happen. And, uh, um, you know, as much as it hurts to get rid of guys that you like, I think Ricky Rubio, particularly for me, uh, it's just too exciting to see where this team is at. And I think we're going to start there with Chris Paul and some of his numbers. I didn't get anything like super, super out of the ordinary here with the Chris Paul over unders. I took the bet online numbers, our sponsor, of course, um, for points per promo game. Promo code Blue Wire. Yeah, promo code Blue Wire. <laughs> Don't forget. Uh, for points and, and assists per game. And these numbers were actually really interesting because the points per game were essentially what he was at last season 17.5 points per game was the over under from bet online. He literally averaged 17.6 so technically he was slightly over that in OKC last season and then the assists per game so these are two separate ones was set at 7.5 and I think he averaged 6.5 I don't know if you guys have those numbers in front of you but I think it was 6.5 last season in OKC so uh, something about the Suns team boosts the assist number up in at least bet online's mind which I actually think makes a lot of sense just playing with Devin Booker alone uh, you know, he's never really, other than James Harden, who's who's a, kind of a point guard too and likes to create his own shot, there's never really been a guy like Devin Booker next to Chris Paul. So I think expecting that assist number to go up. Also, it should be said, OKC ran a lot of isolations. They liked yep. to uh, find the mismatch and let the three-guard lineups sort of attack the mismatches. And from what I've seen on Monty Williams, there wasn't a ton of that. So expecting a little higher assists makes sense to me max we'll start with you uh either one of those or you can you can go through both of them if you'd like points per game 17.5 assists per game 7.5 would you go over or under on those two i'm going to be taking a lot of chris paul overs and i think there's a couple of reasons for that one i think that this is just a, a wonderful fit for him as a basketball player uh other than booker he's really going to be running the show and kind of be it's kind of like the you know the old mentor coming in to show the young guys how to do things I think he's going to be very involved in the offense. He's going to be running, you know, Chris Paul always does that. He Chris Paulifies his every game he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just has a lot more talent around him right now. So I, I think that, you know, he's going to get a lot of, uh, you know, the three-point shooting around him is going to be very good. We'll get a lot of assists that way. And I think that at the end of games, they're going to lean on him. I mean, I think, I, I can't remember if it held true throughout the entire season, but I know at least at the all-star break, because it was an argument that Zach Lowe was making, among others, that Chris Paul was the best clutch player in the entire league to yeah. that point, uh, efficiency-wise. I think he even led the league in fourth quarter scoring for a while there. Um, he just, I mean, I think, I think the same things to be happening here. They're going to really defer to him. You know, James Harden wouldn't necessarily defer to Chris Paul. James Harden was a superstar in his own right. Booker is right. too. Booker like looks at him like a hero, right? So he's going to defer to him. I think there's going to be a lot of that. And the other reason I'll point out before we can go to Sam on it is I think that with the way the schedule is compressed, he's going to be taking a few, quite a few games off, probably a lot of the back-to-backs off. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you're, when you're not playing all the games, 
you can, you know, exert more energy in the games in which you do play. So right. I think that that I think we'll see that. I, I don't have exact numbers for you. But I guess if I, if I had to guess, it's like nineteen and eight, maybe something like that. The average. Right. So um, over yeah, on both of those. Yep. And for the record, for those listening, uh, in the first half of the season, nine back-to-back games. So quite a lot. To and I think that's how this season's going to look because it's relatively compressed. Uh, so uh, you know, I didn't want to pick a how many games any of these players were going to play. It's just too unique of a season and too dark of a topic, I think, <laughs> to talk about on this podcast. So I, I skip that entirely, but I do find that interesting. Sam, what do you think? Uh, I half agree. I think the assists are a given, um, especially like Chris Paul averaged 6.7 assists per game last year with OKC. I looked it up. Um, just go one year uh, further into the past when he was with Houston, he averaged 8.2 that final year with Houston, and they also run a very heavy uh, isolation system. So if he can do 8.2 playing next to James Harden, he comes into a system with Monty Williams where the Suns led the league in assists last year. Um, I think he can very easily average, say, eight assists, maybe even more. For points, it's a little more difficult because I buy into all of the logic that Max is saying. Uh, Chris Paul is a phenomenal clutch player. They are going to lean on him in some isolation uh, opportunities towards the end of games, um, kind of put him into to high screen pick and rolls and have him just kill other teams with with his mid-range jumper. But I don't know. I mean, I think, what what is it? 17.5 is the exact line, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have to go slight under. Uh, you know, what? We're, we're reacting. We agreed that we would react to these on the fly, but one thing I did look up, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but if you go by the bet online um, promo code blue wire uh, <laughs> over unders, uh, if, if you just tally up what they think the over under is for scoring between Devin Booker, I don't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head, but Devin Booker, I think is somewhere in that 28 to 30 range. DeAndre Ayton is somewhere around 20. Chris Paul, it had at 17 and a half. If you tally all those up, the Suns have not had a trio of three players who scored. And I looked this up that many points per game. I think it comes out to like 69-ish points per game. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, since 1990, when they had Tom Chambers, Kevin Johnson, and, uh, and Dan Marley. So a part of me does feel like these, these things are dependent on each other. I feel like Devin's going to get his, and it really comes down to, are we going to see DeAndre Ayton take the offensive leap that some Suns fans seem to want out of him, where he does solidify himself as a 20-point-per-game scorer? Or are we going to see Chris Paul kind of assume the offensive role that Max thinks is going to happen? And, and is he going to be a 19 or 20 point per game score? I think you can have one or the other, but I don't think you can have both. And so for me personally, I think DeAndre is going to take a bit more of a leap. And I think Chris Paul might might honestly play back a little bit and, and kind of assume more of that facilitator role. I still think he can get 16, 17 points per game, but but I think that's about as far as I'm willing to go. And so I'm going to take the under uh, on the scoring. Yeah, I... um. I have it the same way in my mind, under on the points and over on the assists. And I'm not confident in that under on the points. I do think that there is a high chance that Devin Booker is just unbelievable scoring this season. And we're going to get to Booker. We usually save his over-unders towards the end of these episodes uh, to keep you guys listening. Uh, Mm -hmm. But (laughs) for Devin Booker specifically, I think, his level of maturity, he, he improves every single year, as we've talked about time and time again on this podcast. And the addition of Chris Paul will take his game to even another level. It's not just playing on the court with a guy that has to be guarded literally everywhere on the court, like Chris Paul. It's also just understanding that leadership, understanding the game the way that Chris Paul does. Similar to what Ricky Rubio added, it's just 
Chris Paul is a 10, you know, a 10 time all-star. He's a nine time all defensive player. Like he's a hall of fame. He's a first ballot hall of famer. Uh, he was on second team all NBA last season. I, I don't have to list all his accolades, but you guys know it's, it's a big <laughs> difference. But what, what I think about that is, is I think there's a chance that Devin Booker is so good that coming down uh, at the end of games in the fourth quarter, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And I think the way that Chris Paul played in OKC as the very clear best player, he essentially sort of lied back for the first three quarters. He tried to understand the way the defense was playing, and then he took over in the fourth quarter. And I think there's a chance that he's actually a little more assertive in those first three quarters, and Devin Booker becomes a little more assertive in that fourth quarter. But I'm very interested to see that because I'm not fully confident in that. Like I said, this team is actually relatively hard to predict for me because those guys, their skill level, how good they are, it could actually be relatively close next season. Devin Booker is mm-hmm. obviously going to put the stats on. But I think if you try and figure out who's going to be the best player on the team next season, I would lean Devin Booker, but Chris Paul's really good. Like mm-hmm. He could absolutely be the best player on the team uh, to a lot of people next season. But I, I tend to think that Booker's going to need the ball in his hands a lot next season. So I'm also going under on the points per game and over on the assists per game. You know, one quick thing on that, Mike, because I thought that was really interesting. I think one, one thought that came to me is maybe this is something that actually changes as the season goes on. I think one thing that we really needed from Chris Paul, we needed desperately as a team was uh, basketball IQ on the floor and, you know, not completely losing your shit at the end of games and just right. stupid crap. Even Rubio was a, a guilty of it sometimes. Like, as first yeah. game comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul is not going to do that. And I think they're really going to lean on him to teach them how to win games, especially early on. And maybe as the course of the season moves on, that Booker kind of takes over a little bit as he learns from Chris Paul. Yeah. Yeah, the bubble, it just the game just kind of slowed down to a DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker pick and roll at the end of every game in the bubble. And like the shooting's gonna be a lot better on this team. And and even that secondary creation, if you could even call it that, with Chris Paul in the corner. And also Chris Paul's usage rate, interestingly, was not that high. I think it was something like twenty five percent last season. Yeah, in I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. You would think it would have been higher. It's actually lower than and that's why his points were, you know, low, if you want to call it low. Right. Yeah. But to your point, I mean, you look at the difference between Shea, who is his backcourt partner in OKC and, and comparing him to Booker, it's no, yeah. it's no contest. And, yeah. and you can really see how it would have necessitated him really stepping up and, and taking on that larger role in the fourth quarter. I don't yeah. know. I, I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I see. Now you guys uh, know what I was going through, putting these numbers together earlier, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out exactly what it's going to look like has been not easy, but these, I think, so DeAndre Ayton, I also took, the next guy we're going to cover is DeAndre Ayton here. I also took two of the numbers from Bet Online, and then I came up with something myself for blocks per game. But the points per game was 19.5, 19.5, so relatively high. And if you look at the Bet Online numbers, they, they put them at 19.5 points per game and 11.5 rebounds per game. If DeAndre Ayton's coming up with those numbers, and continues to improve def- defensively, he essentially vaults himself into the th- at least the third best center in the NBA conversation at that point, in my opinion. And that's great. And I think DeAndre Ayton on this team is fascinating for many reasons. I think um, personality-wise, it'll be interesting to see how he fits with Chris Paul um, and how he fits onto a team that's like striving for contender status in a lot of ways. Um, and, but the other thing that I find fascinating is 
what he was last season. Like when I picture DeAndre Ayton as the second best player on your team, I automatically think, well, that team has a relatively low ceiling. When I picture <laughs> DeAndre Ayton as the third best player on the team, that's that's pretty fascinating. Like that, that's when the conversation becomes really interesting because then you're talking about a team that could be a really, really good team. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's putting some pressure on Chris Paul, obviously. Um, 19.5 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game. Max, I'd want to hear before you say your over-unders on that, where do you fall on how Chris Paul will affect DeAndre Ayton? Because before Chris Paul was on the team, so many people were like, Chris, Chris Paul's going to eat him alive. And there was this conversation about how DeAndre Ayton couldn't handle someone like Chris Paul. I never really bought into that personally. Once he was on the team, I think a lot of people switched to, actually, he's a pretty good leader. You know, that, that whole conversation changed a little bit. Where do you fall on that, Max? Yeah, I guess I've kind of started a little more negative on it and went a little more positive. I think Aiton will listen to him. Like, again, you, you made this point earlier. I don't, no one thinks Aiton's a bad guy. He's just a little immature. And I think that, you know, being around somebody with that stature, it may, he may be able to follow the lead a little bit. I mean, I don't think anyone should expect Aiton to not drift in games sometimes anymore. It's still going to happen sometimes. But, you know, and part of it, too, is, you know, Aiton – I think Rubio did a good job with Aiton for sure, but Chris Paul is going to do a better job with Aiton and keeping him engaged. And if you can keep him engaged offensively, it's only going to help him on the defensive end as well, I hope at least. So I, I'm, I'm bullish on it, I think. And they've, they both said all the right things too about each other. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. But I do think there's, there is some chance it ends up with the serial killer look from, from Chris Paul in certain games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think interestingly too, I was looking at DeAndre Aiton's stats um, last season and basically – his unassisted field goal percentage was like 70, basically three quarters of his shots uh, were assisted and his unassisted percentage was low. It was like a quarter of them. And if you factor in like points that he was getting off offensive rebounds, he was essentially creating a very, very small amount of points for himself last season. And when you think about him going up to 19.5, where this number is, I find that really interesting. I like that number, like 75% of his buckets being assisted I think is a good thing, especially when you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker on your team. It's sometimes it's hard for me to picture how he's going to get up above 20 points, but maybe he's going to be wide open rolling to the rim with those shooters. What do you think? 19.5 points per game over under max. What do you think? I know I think Chris Paul's over here. I'm thinking Nathan's over here too, though. I think there's just going to be so much space for him to operate in. And I, I think Booker and, and Chris Paul are going to make the game really easy on him. They're both really good passers. They both know how to set him up well. So I, I, I'm very bullish on him. Uh, and also, I mean, he has that 18 last season. And he had, I don't think he was very good on offense last year. Yeah. Uh, really at all. I mean, he doesn't get to the free throw line at all. Hope to see that improve yes. a little bit. Uh, yeah. The other thing, too, is he was taking a lot of junky mid-rangers. I don't know if that'll stop or not. I hope it does because they're really, really frustrating to watch. <laughs> But if he focuses on just letting the game kind of come to him with, with Booker and Chris Paul, you know, setting it up, I, I think he, I, you say how can he get that high? I, I think it is. I, I feel the same thing with you on that. It's like, it's hard to imagine, but he kind of just stumbles into points sometimes. You'll just look at his box for like, hey, he has 20 points. And I think that'll happen even more this season because he's going to yeah. get a lot of those, those the, the bunnies that you don't really think about. Right. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I have to kind of ask first, sorry to be annoying, but, but before no. I answer, like, I feel like players need focus. You know, like mm-hmm. humans, they need structure. They need to compartmentalize a little bit. So what do you guys think is Monty Williams? Not what should it be, but what do you think Monty Williams is stressing to DeAndre Ayton right now? Because I think they could go in a couple of different directions with it. And, and it's going to affect, you know, my answer to this. Like if it's just we want you to roll hard to the rim and catch lobs, 
then I think DeAndre Ayton could average maybe less than 18 and a half points per game, maybe more like, or or sorry, 19 and a half. Maybe he only averages 18 or 19 points per game, but he does it on 70% true shooting. And he's just like a a super glorified kind of Rudy Gobert type. Or you could say, before we decide to give you a max contract, we want to decide if we think you can actually dribble a little bit. And so we're going to give you more post-ups, maybe not even necessarily post-ups, but but we're going to give you more elbow touches and we want you to actually try and initiate some offense. Maybe DeAndre Ayton gets up to 24, 25 points per game. Honestly, I really think he could do that, but maybe yeah. a lot of those possessions look uglier. So, so what do we think the actual focus is for him going into year three? I think that the first version of what you said could actually lead to more points than the second one, uh, which is the one that he's rolling hard to the rim and, and just just focusing on that every single time, getting his hands in the right place, keeping the ball high, the big man stuff. And I think my thoughts on how Monty Williams is approaching DeAndre Ayton is still the same as before, but now it's even more important. And that is embracing the dirty work that comes with being a center. That means uh, taking contact, you know, hitting, hitting hard on those screens, be, not being afraid of contact, rolling to the rim and then just defense. I think that's still the focus. And I think when you have Chris Paul and you have Devin Booker and you have a team that could be very, very good. And Deandre Ayton falls down one peg on the best player on the team status. Then I think he's probably going to, emphasize that dirty work stuff even more that i mean that's how i'm looking at it right now but i guess that kind of gives you a hint on on where i'm going with with the over under even i'm actually not really sure where i'm going to go on that but what do you think sam I, i'm not really sure yeah i mean i look i think defense is going to be the focus for sure i mean that he he undoubtedly became a good defender last year and now they want him to become a great one and kind of be able to call out any sort of scheme in real time and communicate um, and and shore up some of those issues he had with uh, defense, little defensive IQ things, you know, last year. Um, offensively, look, ultimately, I'm going to take the over here, but I think it's going to be a very slight over. Like, I think he averages 20 points per game in what is a relatively simplified role, like you said, Mike, of just kind of rolling to the basket. Um, I'm going to bet on there being enough contact um, and, and enough aggression and enough, like, if he just... He averaged 2.3 free throw attempts per game last year. If he gets it up to three and a half, then right there, he's at 20 points per game, you know, like, or, or, or very close to it. So he just needs a little bit of an incremental increase in terms of that aggression type stuff, but the three point shooting and, and, you know, kind of the fancy stuff doesn't necessarily need to come this year. The sun's added so many shooters this year that I would like to see Deandre take threes uh, as well, like maybe one a game, but it doesn't have to be crazy. In fact, you could argue, I think that, DeAndre is at his best, just kind of anchoring the offense with his pick and roll gravity. And if he spends a, a large amount of time outside on the perimeter this year, that's actually hurting the flow of the offense because that's where you want all the actual shooters to be hanging around. Not the guy who's probably going to shoot like 32% or something, not that impressive. Yeah. So he, he just needs to focus on being as close to the basket as possible. There is a part of me that is hoping we see him in some sort of playmaking positions not because I think he's going to be good at it, but just because I think you need to find out if he could be good at it before you decide whether or not to commit $30 million to him. But ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the over. But I think it's going to be like 20 points per game. I would be surprised yeah. if, if he got up to like 23, you know? I mean, the yeah. only way he gets up to 23 is if he starts getting to the line the way he, somebody with his right. body should, right? Right, you, exactly. You can't, exactly. You can't average 24 points a game in the NBA without getting to the line like five or six yeah. times. You just can't. 
Yeah, I don't think that if he gets up above 20, definitively, it's going to be from three-point shooting. You know, Mm -hmm. I think those three-point shooting is just to keep the defense honest. It's not something that's going to be like a great, great part of his game. Maybe similar to Jay Crowder, who we're going to talk about next as far as three-point shooting. I'm also going to go over on that one and not confidently. I think that number from bed online is about where I think he's going to be. Like, I think it could be easily 19.4 or 19.6, like just over a just under on that specific number. So I'm not super, super confident in that, but I think we're all in agreement on that one. And for the rebounds. um, Oh yeah. Rebounds too. Well, rebounds, I'm going to go over too. I think 11.5, it's a good number, but I think at this point, he's got to vault himself into, and he was close to it last season. He's got to vault himself into that best rebounder in the NBA conversation. And I think he will. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to go over on the 11.5 rebounds. Max, what do you think? Yeah, that was easy for me too. I mean, he's really an incredible offensive rebounder, which is maybe one of his more underrated skills. And the pins rebounds are going to come to him on this team. There's not a lot of other dominant rebounding on this team. And he certainly has the potential to be that. So I I fully agree. I'm over on that. And for the record, I didn't mention this. I agree with you guys on the points. I think it's barely over. I don't have him like scoring 25 a game or something like that. And if he does, like if he's over like at 24, then they are in championship contention Mm -hmm. at that point. (laughs) I think that's something that we can say. Do you agree with Um, the over on that one, Sam? This is the easiest one to me in the entire thing. Like, let's just point out that uh, we love, I think all of us kind of love to an extent going small. And we love the idea of let's play Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder at the four. Let's play Dario Saric at the five. All of that stuff only works because DeAndre Ayton is already one of the best rebounders in the league. If we didn't have DeAndre Ayton, uh, then, you know, that that entire system falls apart. This is just one of his obvious strengths that I think falls by the wayside sometimes when people talk about him because it's just such an expectation for your big man to be a good rebounder. But there's difference between a guy who averages nine rebounds a game, who's good, and a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who legitimately has that chance to be just like Andre Drummond-esque, like he's really that good yeah. on the glass. I think the one thing you could say, if he spends a little bit more time popping uh, on pick and roll plays and, and a little bit less time slipping or rolling, then maybe he's not always in quite the same position to to go for the offensive rebound every I, single time. I, but Actually, I have a point on that. Yeah. Chris Paul is one of the best guards in the NBA at forcing a switch. When Even when defenses are trying to not switch, uh, because of the way that he uses his ball handling uh, to force bigs on him around screens. And what that means is Chris Paul probably wants to attack the switch on his own. That means that DeAndre Ayton is likely under the rim with a small guy. If Chris Paul misses the shots, those offensive rebounds, like that should be points every time. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So I, I think this is easy. Like I think he could be a 12, 12 and a half, no doubt. Yeah. It's that. Look at us. Being super optimistic <laughs> us, about DeAndre and how fun is well, I that? Wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's super optimistic because you go on Sun's Twitter, Sun's Reddit, and there are some guys who think he should average 25 and 13 next year. And like, that would be great. Boy, you know, I would love to have, <laughs> I would, yeah, I would love to have prime Kevin Garnett yeah. on the team, but yeah. I, just, I just don't know that we're there yet. You know, to those people, I want to say, those people commonly say, I just want DeAndre and on the block demanding the ball. That's the last thing I want for this team. <laughs> like still, still to this day. And it's not to say that he can't still be one of the best centers in the NBA without that. He still can. I just think we have to really come to terms with that for a lot of people who love DeAndre Ayton, that he can still be great without doing that. Because doing that over and over and over again, when you have a team that has this many good shooters and has uh, two like real offensive superstars is, is probably not going to be the best play on a lot of plays. I do want to talk about his defense. So I have a number blocks per game. 
I think the first year we had it set at like 1.2. The second year we had it set, I believe, at 1.5. Now I have it set at 1.7 blocks per game. You guys who listen to this podcast know we don't really measure good defense by blocks per game. But it is nice to see him get blocks. And I do think that uh, the blocks number has sort of matched his defensive improvement. This is not a huge jump that I'm asking at 1.7. It was tough for me to say like two. Is he going to average more than two blocks per game? Uh, We don't have to talk about this for a long time here. But Max, what do you think about this 1.7 blocks per game number? Oh, it's a really good number, Mike. I'm kind of leaning towards going under just because <laughs> I've taken overs all, every single time so far. Um, but I, I don't want to do that. I'm not saying that because I think that he, I mean, I, I agree with everybody. His defensive improvement was obvious last season. There, there were still lapses, of course. There were still games where you're just like, where are you? Where, where are you in the clouds somewhere, uh, DeAndre? Uh, but overall, though, it's just a huge improvement. I mean, the under one block a game thing is a problem. I agree. You can't measure defense by blocks, but you can certainly measure bad defense by under one block a game for a second. Yeah. Right. Um, and his yeah, size. Yeah. At his size. Exactly. I mean, with those about wingspan, he should be getting blocks. No problem. I, th- I think he'll probably be right around 1.7. Again, I'll go under just because I'm doing too many overs, but it, it's a good number. And I, I expect to see him get even marginally better on defense next season. What do you think, Sam? This is a really tough one. Uh, it's a really tough one. I'm going to go over. Cause why not? Um, yeah. Over. Why not? I think, I think he can do it. Like, I think this is the year where again, the defensive leap is just going to be massive. Dare I say, Stay tuned for a YouTube video uh, kind of about this, but um, just tease, little tease. Uh, (laughs) DeAndre, what stood out about him upon going back and kind of rewatching film from his second year is just that it, it was so much of him being the special defender that he was drafted to be, of being the guy who can switch um, and effectively guard guards on the perimeter, but can also draw. I mean, he's always going to be primarily a drop defense guy, but he's just so special um, when he's actually locked in and kind of the way he sees the game on that end. And yeah, I I see no reason why he can't average 1.8, 1.9 blocks per game this year. I don't think he's going to go out there and average two and a half or three. Um, But yeah, I I think he can do it. I'm going to go over two because it's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not super confident in either. And I'm not going to use this as a, a measurement to, as far as how good he did on the season defensively. I think so much more matters. And yes, we will talk more about that later. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. 
Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's move on to a new edition. Uh, Jay Crowder, and really one number is is all I wanted to talk about, something that's measurable, and it's three-point percentage uh, for Jay Crowder. And I'm still – look, I'm going to even change the number last second here. I'm going to say his three-point percentage over under is uh, 33.5. Now, this is low, relatively low. What was it before? Uh, I I went back and forth between 33.5 and 34%, so not a huge okay. different here difference here. Uh, but I do think – Look, Jay Crowder, he was incredible in Miami. He shot well over 40% in Miami. Uh, but in Memphis, it was like under 30%. So, and I think that's like for a single season, it's an interesting encapsulation of his shooting. He is inconsistent as a shooter. He will shoot it, I, which I actually really like about Jay Crowder. He's not afraid to let it fly. And I think that's important. Uh, you know, just, just to keep defenses honest and he'll make some of them enough that it's a valuable shot, but it's hard to predict how good he's going to be. Um, Max, which Jay Crowder are we getting this season? Are you going over or under 33.5? You make a really good point there and that, and that defense is respected and it keeps them honest. I mean, there's two values to shooting, right? There's making the shot, which is great, but there's also the spacing you provide. And Jay Crowder does provide that you have to, you have to guard him at least. Uh, I'm going to go over, not way over, but I think he'll do better than that. That's about his career average. His career is 34%. Um, and I think on this team, there's going to be so much spacing just in general. I think that the three-point shooting will be good kind of across the board that I, I just see him fitting into that. You know, one thing about three-point shooting, it, you can kind of, it kind of gets, it's kind of uh, contagious, you know, like when yeah. the teams get on runs and just start hitting, they, they get confidence kind of together. And I think this team will be a good three-point shooting team, so I think that'll help his three-point shooting if that makes any campaign, sense. Campaign, baby. That's how campaign <laughs> shot 50%. That's true. Yep. And, you know, yep. uh, J- uh, Javon Carter, too, in the in the bubble. Yeah. Um, this is a rough, like, superficial statistical analysis since we're just doing this on the fly. But past three seasons, Jay Crowder shot 33.3% overall. So I would say, Mike, this is a very good line. If you go back to the last time that he had a good three-point shooting season, he shot 40%. Actually, the only time he had a full season of over 35% from three and is close to decade in the league was when he shot 40%, 2016-17 with Boston. Just kind of my initial reaction here, I think what was interesting about that season, if you guys remember, that was the Isaiah Thomas 30-point-per-game season. Mm. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm not really digging too deep in the numbers here. I don't know. It always helps just to kind of see how many wide open shots guys are getting. Um, and my impression would be playing with a guy like Isaiah Thomas probably drew in the defense so much that Jay Crowder was getting a lot of those types of wide open shots. It seems conceivable to me now that he's moved on from in the past few years playing with uh, Donovan Mitchell and then Memphis and Miami, a bunch of, a bunch of teams that didn't really have a special offensive talent like Devin Booker. 
maybe playing around a special offensive talent like Devin Booker, who can average close to 30 points per game this season, draws in the defense, gives him the same sort of looks he had in Boston with Isaiah Thomas, and he gets up there. I'm not saying he's going to shoot 40% because I, I definitely don't think he will, but um, maybe he shoots, you know, 35, 36. And, and so I'll take the over. I'm going to take the under on this one and it's not, and I'm only doing it really to just to say that he still provides value even under 33.5%. But I will say this, there seems to be a belief within the Suns organization that he changed something about his shot when he got to Miami. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. I believe it was Monty that said, I'm looking forward to getting in the gym with him and seeing what tweaks he made to his jump shot uh, to get to that percentage in Miami. So if there was some sort of material change in his jump shot that now makes him a much better shooter, that is a really good contract. Like if he could shoot close to 40% and still provide, I mean, this guy guarded Giannis and LeBron in the playoffs and in the finals. And if he could shoot somewhere close to 40% on this team, that, that becomes an insanely valuable player. But I, I'm already. I mean, that's your that's your Draymond Green right there from that yeah. one season with the. Yeah. So not not to get people too excited because the Suns aren't about to go you know 65 and seven, but that's yeah. that's basically what you're describing there. Yeah, I, you know, I just in a lot of ways I'm just preparing for people to um, kind of dump on Jay Crowder a little bit if his shooting percentages are low, and and I've talked about it too. I think if the net ratings aren't always going to match exactly what he brings because he's going to be matched up against a lot of the best forwards in the NBA, just matching minutes with those guys. And it's difficult to maintain a super high net rating. So, you know, I'm just sort of going under in preparing myself to go over the top in defending Jay Crowder this season. It's a great point. The Suns did not sign him to shoot 40% from three. That would be a nice bonus. That's not where they signed him. They signed him because they desperately needed toughness and defense at the four. And and that's what he's here for. It's what he's going to do. So the shooting is a bonus. All right, Mikhail Bridges. I only have one for Mikhail Bridges. We all love him. Every Suns fan loves him. Uh, Points per game is what I chose, and I set it at 13.5 points per game, which you could look at as kind of low, but I, I, I was just looking at the points per game throughout his two seasons in the NBA and trying to project some sort of natural growth and also considering that maybe his usage rate won't be... Like, if we could, if we sort of projected the team from the bubble and thought about what he was doing there, maybe he would have gotten a little more shots, but now Chris Paul's on the team. That changes everything just a little bit. So maybe he gets more, maybe he gets less. Uh, I, I'm still not even sure which way I'm going to go on this one, Max 13.5. Hey, Max, by the way, if you don't want to go first on any of these, feel free to tell me no. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to be gracious. I don't Uh, mind. It's okay. (laughs) There's not a million dollars on the line here or anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to be gracious and allowing you to go first, but feel free to tell me to skip to Sam if you'd like to. Um, But 13.5 points per game from Mikhail Bridges. What do you think? Yeah, this one I actually have a pretty strong feel. And I think it'll be under, not way under, but a little under. I just don't think that's going to be his role in this team as a score. They don't really need that. I think it's going to be primarily concentrated in the top three guys we've spent so much time talking about already. Um, But I I think he'll be a little more efficient from three. I I believe in the improvement there. You know, near 40%, hopefully. Uh, But, you know, we know what his job is. His job is to shut down people on defense. His job is to do what he did to TJ Warren in the bubble. Uh, when he drew Warren was going nuclear right up until he ran up to against Mikhail Bridges. That, right. So that, going under for that reason. Right. And Luka Doncic too. I think he did a great yep. job in the bubble. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's an easy under. I would love for Mikhail to average like 
16 and six mm. and two steals. I mean, those are like Kawhi Leonard numbers before he left San Antonio, but uh, I don't think it happens this year. I just don't see where the touches are for him. One caveat I will bring up though. That, I mean, all of these really, but it's assuming a, a healthy roster, but what happens if Chris Paul misses extended time, which he has mm. at points in the past? Um, because what's interesting about this roster is last year, you really had a solidified top tier of scores where you had Devin Booker, you had DeAndre Ayton at points, and then you had Kelly Oubre, a 19 point per game score. He didn't create for others, but he certainly liked to have the ball in his hands. If Chris Paul misses, say, even if it's only 10 or 15 games this year, I do wonder who kind of fills the Oubre role because you'll still have Booker you'll still have Aiton but Jay Crowder is not going to give you those points uh I don't think I, I'd love for campaign to to prove me wrong and be, we've talked about it before and become like a Dennis Schroeder type off the bench and like be that guy but I don't believe in it personally uh so is it going to be Sarich kind of off the bench and like taking on a, a much heightened responsibility as a sixth man or is it going to be Mikhail Bridges starts driving to the basket more or is it going to be Cam Johnson fires away 10 times from from three mm-hmm. I really don't know who it's going to be or if any of them are even capable of doing that in in short spurts but I am curious kind of just about the question um Cam Johnson that that's exciting to think about um mm-hmm. I'm also going to go under but I will say for Mikhail Bridges I watched a lot of Chris Paul film and it's just, just sort of watching if it feels like at this point, I may have watched every single point and assist by Chris Paul last season in OKC. And, you know, I thought that was a unique season for him and I wanted to see how he played with that team specifically and the type of attention he brings on a pick and roll and how good he is at driving his man into a screen on a pick and roll. He commonly draws a third defender on that pick and roll. And that means that guys who cut back door get a lot of easy points with Chris Paul. He's great at passing, but just manipulating that screen, manipulating the defense. um, He's very good at it. Probably the best in the league. And if Mikhail Bridges can continue to be one of the best cutters in the NBA, which he was last season, he's going to get a lot of easy points. So I think there's a chance that he could be over, but I also think, uh, you know, Max, you mentioned, his three-point shooting, if he can continue that sort of fixed three-point shooting and then be that best cutter, I also think there's a chance he averages around 13.5, but his efficiency is like through the roof because he's just getting really easy shots on this team. So I'll go under, and I think, yeah, I, I, I hope he goes over, but it's difficult. Like, Sam, you talked about it. If we're going over on Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker, what we're going to get to, you know, is Mikhail Bridges going to get those shots? There's there's really only so many points unless guys miss extended time. You talked about efficiency. I'm like I haven't looked at Mikhail Bridges' numbers in a while, but it just speaks to how brilliant of a cutter he is and and how well he picks his spots. He shot 51 36 84 in a second year in, in a low usage role granted, but like that's already a very efficient season from him. Yeah. He had the highest true shooting on the entire team just ahead of Yeah, ben that's Booker, that's crazy. Yeah. And I wonder I wonder how much further he can push it. I think he can push it pretty far because his shot was broken at the yep. beginning of the season. Like it, it took it took half the season for him to figure out that shot, and if that can continue, then yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You Although know, selfishly, coach, we may want we may want his uh, breakout offensively to come after we send him right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, yeah, his um, what he is going to get in free agency is going to be a fascinating it really is conversation going forward. And you know, look, everyone's talking about DeAndre Ayton and that max contract looming uh, on DeAndre Ayton, but we 
really haven't even started the conversation on what Mikhail Bridges is going to get, and that'll be fascinating. Some of those, sometimes those guys max. are undervalued to me. I'd give him a max <laughs> lifetime contract. <laughs> I really, I, I would be sad if we lost DeAndre Ayton, but I would be distraught if we lost Mikhail Bridges. I really think I sincerely believe. I that. don't think we will I, though, because you know who else would be distraught if we lost him is James Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, just I watching so. him play, I, like I know, I know, kind of sometimes like analytical nerd types have this fascination with these three and D players who are like efficient or whatever. And they play defense, but, and you know, it can go a little bit too far and you can overrate them and kind of lose sight of the fact that there are other guys like that out there, but just watching Mikhail Bridges and his freakish noodles flopping about on the, on the court. <laughs> like I just derive so much joy out of watching him play. It would be so sad if he ever left Phoenix in a trade or a free agency or otherwise. Yeah. It's a fascinating player where all three of us can go under uh, 13.5 points per game and still be ultra <laughs> optimistic about the player that he's going to be. Uh, those guys are just so great to have. Chris Paul's going to love him. <laughs> you yeah. can just tell. Uh, another guy Chris Paul's going to love, Cameron Johnson. I actually didn't have this one on uh, the sheet, but then Sam brought him up and I was like, ah, we got to talk about Cameron Johnson on this team because it's fascinating. Monty Williams kind of hinted at Cameron Johnson even potentially starting. We don't really know what that's going to look like going forward. Cameron Johnson, I decided three-point attempts per game is kind of the interesting number for Cameron Johnson this season. He had 4.8 last season. I think this is going to go much higher than that, so I'm setting it much higher than that at seven attempts per game. Whoa! How many guys I, averaged that last year? Let me I don't look. know. This is the type of, uh, this is the type of research that I would have done had I thought to put this on the uh, list before just now, uh, which is when I <laughs> added it on. Uh, that but would I think, have put him. Are you interested? Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, that would put Cam Johnson. If we were judging by last year, it would put him tied for twenty first in the NBA. Yeah. Um, the immediate guys who would be in his vicinity would be Danilo Gallinari, Jason Tatum, Kevin ah. Love, Robert Covington, um, Tarian Prince is there. Like role player type guys, yeah. not necessarily first options. A very interesting player that you mentioned there, Danilo Gallinari. Who did he play with last season? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ah, that's checkmates. <laughs> isn't that where you want him to be? Right, right yes. around right. those guys. Yes. Yeah. No, right? I agree. Uh, yeah. But where, where are the minutes coming from? Do we think Cam is going to start the season? I don't know. I... For me, it's like if if he can get thirty minutes a game, yeah, he can do that. But Chris like, Paul if... likes playing with guys like Cameron Johnson. He does, and yeah, I just feel like he's going to earn those minutes uh, over the course of the season. And and starting by the end of the season is not out of the question for me. And I, you know, I wanted seven three-point attempts per game last season, more than that. So I set it high. I'm still going to go over. I'll just say it. Right You're now. crazy! Wow. <laughs> I'm still going to go over on this number. If and I, I want it to be. This is sort of a I want it to be over. Um, yes. What do you think, Max? Absolutely, I'm going over too. I love you it. You guys are but, wow. Honestly, Sam. Honestly, uh, the statistics you you listed that you were in 21st and around those guys like. That didn't shock me at all. He should be about that range. Yeah, I know, I, mean, he's an I know. And, shooter. That's why and, you draft him. He's a terrific shooter, guys. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I, and and I have been on the train all along of like I want the Suns to run plays for Cam Johnson. Hopefully, mm. in the absence of Ubre, that's coming this year. Where they're like, we don't have that that bailout option, Ubre, who would be the second or third option on plays last year, um, to to kind of be like you know Devin Booker passes to Ubre as a finisher on a play. This year, I would like Cam Johnson to be involved, kind of um, in sets like that, but. But even so, it's just like, I struggle. How many, let me, now I have to go and look up his page again. How many minutes did he play last year? 
like 22, 20? 22. Yeah. yeah. And you know what we should look at is how many three point attempts he had per game in the bubble. I don't know if you have that up, but I'd be, I'd I'll be pull that up. I'll pull that up. That's, that's a great idea. This right, is what so happens you're leaning we... under right now though, right? Yeah. Cause I just, I think if Crowder gets 30 minutes at, at the four and Mikhail gets 30 minutes at the three and Aiton gets 30 minutes at the five and you've got to give Dario, like, I just, I just don't, there has to be an injury to open up those minutes. So it's possible, but, but here in the bubble, Cam averaged 5.4 per game. Mm. I, I think he could get six. I think he could get like six, six and a half even, but I have to go under on this because I just think... That's fair. Yeah, I almost... Uh, yeah, I, I'm just almost afraid that like if it's over seven, then that means Jay Crowder had a season-ending injury, and I think that's a bad thing. <laughs> but it could mean... It also could mean that he's just letting it go all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, true. he certainly wasn't... There were times last season... He was a rookie, right? There were times where he has disappeared. He wasn't, you didn't, you didn't notice for sure. Him or well, so- looking, looking at these stats again, like you've got a guy like um, Bertans, who's a bench player, who's who I wanted to, you know, yeah. one of those guys I scouted for the offseason. Bertans averaged nine, almost just under nine mm. threes per game in a bench role. So Cam has to be getting up there to like almost that tier of like, yeah, he's yeah. coming off the bench. He's only getting 25 minutes, but we're just going to let him launch again and again and again. And he has to have that level of trust almost. Which yeah. is possible. He's he's potentially that level of shooter. It's just really hard to get. There. Eddie Johnson is going to hate him next year if he's doing that, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, he's entering his prime now. <laughs> I know it's the second season of his career, but like, you know, he'll be like in March. He'll be what twenty five. Yep. Uh, so this is like this is about the time where players start launching. Like the, the his offensive peak should be soon um or start to peak soon so you know i like that number even though maybe it's super high uh, obviously looking at those stats but i'm still going over i'm, I'm glad you're with me there max i'm so with I'm you though I, I just want it to happen it's that's yeah, really same. what's going on <laughs> same and, and look if it does that's very exciting to me i watched so much of this sort of staggered pick and roll thing with uh chris paul danilo gallinari and steven adams and it's very simple it's just Chris Paul manipulating a screen and then getting around it. And he's such a threat from mid range. And Steven Adams was such a threat rolling to the rim that Danilo Gallinari was open so often uh, at the top of the key. And I think that's important in this conversation because Mikhail Bridges at the top of the key, not super exciting. Jake Crowder will shoot at the top of the key, not super exciting off movement. Well, who is? And that's Cameron Johnson. Like, that's Cam. Yeah, yeah. Cam that's that the guy. only guy who who can set the screen, pop out to the top of the key, and consistently make that shot in a way that yeah. will put a lot of pressure on the defense. And that's the guy I want to be able to. The do. only guy. That's some Jalen Smith slander, man. <laughs> yeah, Jalen Smith can I mean, maybe Booker do it too. But, too yeah. but I think I think to your point, I think you put either Chris Paul or Devin Booker in the playmaker position. You've got DeAndre Ayton rolling hard to the rim. Cam is the guy who allows you to do like a lot of Spain pick and roll type stuff, screen the screener. Yeah. And Cam's going to be the guy who does that and pops out. And like Dario has done that sort of stuff in the past too. And he can do it. But Dario, we know is like, he can shoot, but he's like a 33, 34% shooter. Like you're not really expecting it to go in. Yeah, he's going to pump fake a lot of those. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you upgrade from Dario to Cam in that position. And I think the Suns can run a lot of that type of stuff effectively. Yeah. All right. You you mentioned him. We're going to move on to him. Jalen Smith. This is not super uh, interesting conversation. I said it at minutes minutes per game because it's something that we've been talking about. And I said it low, 12.5 minutes per game, relatively low. It's kind of hard to picture where he's going to get minutes early. Sam and I were even talking about it where maybe starting the season, he's just playing garbage time. 
uh, to start. And then he, you know, over time, if he can earn a spot, he can earn a spot. Um, you know, they seem to be really happy and confident with him. So, you know, that could maybe tip you off on what way they're going to go as far as the team on this one. And maybe by the end of the season, he's getting a lot of minutes. Uh, but Max, what do you think? I'm going to go 12.5. I'm going to go under here, partially because I just think they're a, a going to be a really good team this year, right? Especially compared to the last couple of years. And rookies don't generally play as much on, on very good teams. Um, the other thing, too, is I, I really fell in love in the bubble with uh, Dario Sharj playing the backup five. I thought he was great at it. Yeah, I thought it made a lot of sense. It was a mismatch. I think, they need, I think they saw that, too, and that's part of the reason why they brought him back. I think they're going to go to that a lot. Um, I know they don't really have a lot of center depth behind it other than him in, in, in sticks, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of him. So that's kind of why I'm going that way. I'm excited for him, though. Even if he's just garbage time, he's going to be a fun mascot with his goggles and everything. I'm, I'm yeah. really excited for him. Yeah, he seems to be an easy guy to root for. What do you think, Sam? I think this is a good line. First of all, I went back and like, when was the last time the Suns had a team that was at least theoretically competing for the playoffs, right? It was five years ago yeah. when they had, uh, yeah. you know, too, too many, too many guys in one basketball. That, that, that's the sad thing about media day this year, right? Is like that picture of Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic will always live in my memory. And this year we couldn't get any fun photo shoots, but, um, <laughs> but I went back that year. The Suns had two rookies. They had just drafted uh, uh, TJ Warren and Archie Goodwin. One of those guys became a good player. One didn't. But um, in that season, it was like you didn't see those guys every game. They, neither of them played more than 40 games. But both of them got T.J. Warren got 15 and a half minutes. Archie yeah. Goodwin got 13 per yeah. game. So I think this is a good line, first of all, because I think it's going to be a similar sort of role. It's going to be like first couple months, we maybe see Jalen Smith like once a week. Like I think it, it really could be like just reserved for blowouts. And then maybe as the season goes on, you give other guys rest, you start to see him more selectively. But I, I don't I just don't think he's gonna be counted on um in a heavy way this year. So I think I'm gonna lean uh with the with the under as well, slight under. Um, I think he's going to have his moments. He's going to have his games where, where he comes out there and he does get to play 15 or 20 minutes and we see him maybe hit a three and, and dunk a few times and we get excited. But I don't, I just don't think they're going to lean heavily on him in any way. Uh, I'm going to go over and only because there's just not a lot of depth of big guys. Um, and I think that there's a strong chance that he outplays Damian Jones, who I like. Uh, but is not part of the you know the future of this team in the way that Jalen Smith probably is. Did uh did Damian Jones not that it contradicts you? Did he get a one or a two year deal? Do we know? I think it's just a one year deal. One with a team option. I want to say a lot okay. of them. Something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I you know, Nerlens Noel oh, is a guy. Two, he got a two year deal, but not yeah. two, no option. Okay. Um, two year deal looks like no option to me. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, it's maybe he will play more. Uh, but yeah, I talked about Nerlens Noel on our last episode about how Chris Paul was able to develop really interesting chemistry with guys like that because he's so good at throwing lob passes. Some people are calling in our, especially in our YouTube comments for some reason <laughs> are calling this team lob city 2.0. It's not like, it's really not that there, there are not a lot of guys who can catch lobs on this team. It's Deandre. Ayton, and then it's kind of nobody as far as the core rotation guys. Uh, so Jalen Smith could be that guy. Damian Jones could be that guy. And, and Chris Paul likes those guys. He likes to throw it above the rim and let guys go up and get it. So yeah, maybe he'll earn some minutes. I'm going over, not super well, confident do, in that one either. I would say if you weren't playing Dario Saric at the, at the five at all, and you guaranteed that you always had one of Jones or Smith or Aiton in the dunker spot at the five, then there is an argument for that's Lob City because it's like we want, it's kind of like how James Jones is just bringing in shooters and guys who can like pass. Like structurally, we want to make sure whoever's playing at the five 
can catch those lobs. But in, in reality, we know that if Darius Saric is going to be playing, say, 10 or 15 minutes a game at the five, that's not going to happen. Darius Saric isn't going to get above, you know, three inches off the ground at any point. So <laughs> It'd be um, interesting to compare the amount of dunks that Blake Griffin had in his first two seasons compared to DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Zin, Zin Point will probably do that, our friend Zin. I could probably tweet, do tweet that out right tomorrow if you give me a minute. <laughs> well, no, we have a really important one to go to right now. Okay. This one was suggested by Cody Hunt. It is Suns home games with Kendall Jenner in attendance. <laughs> and it's set at 0.5. So the bet is will Kendall Jenner go to any Suns home game this season? If the under? Suns if the Suns are a contender and win, say like, you know, 55, 60 games or whatever, do we think there should be more of an MVP narrative for Devin Booker or Kendall Jenner? that's a good question uh will she go to a game though is the question that we're dealing with here i'm gonna say under right away because i don't think she will uh i think that yeah i don't think she will (laughs) i'm not even sure there's gonna be fans at any games this year i think she'll go going over yeah hell yeah hell yeah i I think this one's gonna make the playoffs by the time the playoffs roll around they'll probably at least have friends and family in the stands uh i'll I'll see her there She'll be in a suite, one of the fancy new suites. <laughs> yeah, she'll be sure. she'll be at a game, and it'll be on national TV, and it'll be against the Lakers. It wouldn't happen any other way. Uh, of course. Oh wow, that's fun. I like that. Home game though, by the way, that was a home game question. So we'll see. All right, it's time for the Devin Booker ones. These ones are the two numbers that I took for points per game and assists per game are from Bet Online. So I didn't come up with my own lines here, and I think they're fascinating. Uh, it's 28.5 points per game, 6.5 assists per game uh, were the numbers from Bet Online. We've done this every year, uh, points and assists for Devin Booker. And, uh, you know, it's a fascinating conversation. I think he's hit the over, he hit the over the first year, and I think he hit the under last year because we predicted more points and then he averaged exactly the same last year. Um, I think this is fascinating and I really. I feel strongly one way, but I feel even still less confident than I would normally. Max, what do you think? There's no camera on me or anything. No one can see this, but I am just vigorously pointing up in the up direction <laughs> on points. On po- I think this is the year he breaks 30. Um, uh, first of all, I'm really hoping he shoots well from three now with Chris Paul on the team. Like, this is the time, Devin. <laughs> if, if we're going to believe in yeah. you as a good three-point shooter, like, this is the time when you shoot 40% <laughs> from three. It needs to happen. Uh, so that obviously would help. Um, I, I don't, I think the point, I don't think like Chris Paul's gonna take away from his offense in any, in any way. Uh, maybe towards the end of games would be the only, the only uh, way he would do it. But I think most, it's going to be the Devin Booker show still. He's only getting better. He gets better every single year. I mean, doubt him getting better at, at your own risk because he gets better every single time there's a lag off. He got better between the, the cessation of the season last season and the, and the bubble. Right. He, gets, right. he gets, always gets better. So I expect him to be just amazing uh, this season. I will say, I'll, I'll take the assist down a little bit though, because I think, I think I made the same argument last year and I was wrong that the, that review would take the playmaking away a little more and let him book score. Uh, but I actually do think it's going to happen this year again. So maybe I'll be wrong twice, but I'll, I, I won't say way down because he's a good playmaker. He'll still be about six, but I'll go under on the six and a half and, and over on the points big time. Whew. That's interesting. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Over on both. Ooh, nice. nice. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. I, and, I think and you I went think... under on both last year. So yeah, well I was wrong. And, and <laughs> you were right we're on one see... of them. Was uh, I? Which one? Points per game. Yes. I think he went under last oh, year. Oh, fuck. It, well, yeah. I mean, this would be a better segment to have yearly <laughs> if I would learn from my mistakes. But I never look <laughs> at what I said in the past. I just say more things. Yeah. Uh, I, and this year, what I'm saying is over on both. I think he only has 
Like Devin Booker is so he shot 49% from the field, but that's dragged down by the three point shooting. Mm-hmm. Obviously it always is, but like yeah. it's, it's especially dragged down by the three point shooting. We forget that he's already a great mid range player. And he shot like 70% at the rim last year. Like I remember pulling out a stat at one point yeah. where it was like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. And then like the other top eight guys in that statistic were like centers who just dunked the ball. And like, those were Better the top 10 guys. At the rim than LeBron James. Than LeBron James. I do remember that. Yeah. So I don't think there's like, I just don't think you get any better than that. <laughs> you know, like he's already that good. He shot 92% from the free throw line last year. That was up 6% in a single season, which is pretty difficult to do. I don't think it gets any better there. So I think it just comes down to like, can he get back to where he was a couple years ago when he shot 38% from three one year. If he can do that, raise the three-point percentage by just a couple of points, maybe gets the free throw line a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe gets one or two more superstar calls a game. And sure, he's at 29 points per game or something something like that. I don't think he's going to be at 35. You know, he's not going to be James Harden. But uh, yeah, I think he can do it. And and the assists too, I, I think he can do it. Real, quick, think- on the, real quick on the superstar calls thing, I think it's a great point. They, yeah. That's something I wanted to say about Chris Paul, I forgot to say they're finally gonna have somebody who knows how to work the refs yep. and actually can like interact with them. And because yep. Booker's terrible at that right now, and hopefully Chris Paul gets better at. I think my impression I get is the refs hate Devin Booker. That's the impression that I get. Well, sense. my impression is that the refs hate Chris Paul too. <laughs> That's true. But, yeah, but, but they, he, they respect him though. <laughs> yes, and they don't want his ire. You know, right, like they right. don't want Chris Paul to be on their backs because then the refs become part of the story, because Chris Paul is just that famous. So I think they do try to avoid pissing him off in any way. And I think the the you hit on it right there at the end. The free throws are the big thing. I think they're going to go up uh, just because this team is going to be on national games. Devin Booker is going to be more famous. Chris Paul's on the team. Mm-hmm. And look, I hate that that affects the game, but it does. It just does. Um, the refs don't want to be part of the story. That's that's kind of how it goes. And, and they don't want, you know, Sports Center after the game with nobody watching, but it's still Sports Center. They don't want to say, hey, this game was affected by this missed foul call here. I, you know, and when more people are watching the game, that story becomes a little bigger. So I'm actually I'm actually gonna match Max under on the assists, over on the points. I said it before, and I'm sticking to it. This is the Kevin Durant season for Devin Booker. This mm. is where we start looking at him as one of the best scorers in the NBA, uh, like in a more obvious sense. Look, we've all been saying it as Suns fans, but I think this is where he solidifies his reputation as one of the best scorers in the NBA. And that leads to this next question, which is the first time we've had this one. Devin Booker MVP votes 0.5. Will Devin Booker get at least one MVP vote this season? I think well, this is, is, a le- is that a legitimate first, question. Are you saying a first place vote? It's just anywhere on the MVP list. It's and they go down to five, right? Is that how far they go? Yeah, down? they do go to five. They do. Then yes. Yeah. So you're going he's over. No doubt. He's no doubt. Well, I can't say no doubt. I can't say no doubt because what if they implode and win 30 games? It's possible, you know? But yeah. but it seems like if this team is is as good as they're being billed to be, there are going to be people who have Devin Booker at least third, fourth, or fifth on their ballots, right? Even if even if it's not all the way up top there um, at first, it seems like an inevitability to me. By the way, I, I know this was a previous question. I just want to say one thing to throw out your guys' way. Luka Doncic, his uh, first season in the NBA when he was not expected to be a global phenomenon immediately, um, averaged 6.7 free throw attempts per game. How many do you think he averaged last year in his second Ooh, season? Oh, a lot. Nine? 9.5? 9.2. He yeah. went up 
he went up two and a half in a single season. And, and if Devin Booker theoretically were to follow the same trend line, he could go, he'd average 7.3 last year. It does seem to me that, that if he went up two in a single season based on the superstar hype that, yeah, he could do, he could do that pretty easily. Yeah. yeah I love, I wanted to touch on that too, actually, because Mike was starting to touch on it. I think it's such an important point. It's not even necessarily that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to work, work the refs. As much as just they just NBA refs just respect good teams more than they respect bad teams. Yeah, give them a bit of the doubt way more, and he's just going to get those calls more. It's something that's yeah, it's it's kind of sad to admit, yeah. right? But yeah. there's something so satisfying about having clawed your way out of the hole to the point where we can now say I that know. we might benefit from those calls, right? Because and and also like I sympathize so hard with teams like like Atlanta. I really look at Atlanta as Suns East. Um, and like, I, you know, I follow a few Hawks fans on Twitter and whatnot and Hawks writers and stuff. And, Cause I like Trey Young a lot. And it's like, they're like, we only have one national, basically everyone's saying we only have one national TV game. That's bullshit. And I just see so much of us in them. Um, well, from a few they're years right. ago. I'd rather watch Trey than Zion. I'll say right. Yeah, no, really? I, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. But it's just, it's so nice to have, to not be having those discussions. The anymore. Pelicans and have we, 14. Yeah, I, it's a I lot. Agree it's that I agree that that trade deserves more and Leonard deserves more, but come on, Zion's the most fun player to watch in the world. <laughs> I, love oh, I don't know. Game. I love guys who are like magicians at passing the ball, and and Trey Young is still that. And uh, yeah, and, and look, that team's going to be a lot better uh, than they were last season, and and maybe they won't be better than the Pelicans. I find the Pelicans to be maybe one of the harder teams to figure out how good they're going to be. So much depends on how healthy Zion is and how good. Brandon Ingram is and, and now they signed like that's such a weird team now they have Steven Adams for multiple years it's just it's a bizarre yeah, I, didn't, team I didn't get that at all this season yeah it's, thing, but, it's bizarre I mean it all depends on Zion right is he gonna be Duke Zion he, he absolutely lost explosiveness in the NBA which is crazy because he was so amazing um but yeah. if he's the same he was he's a Duke I mean that's why he's on 14 times right he's gonna be the most exciting player yeah, you know, the, the Suns fans commonly talked about, you know, the Suns having the best lineup by net rating. Well, the Pelicans were right there with them. You know, that team is yeah. on the verge of exploding if they can figure it all out, too. So we'll see. If well, they... it's 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 funny how those narratives come around. We'll get back to the Booker discussion Drew, in just though. a second. Without Drew. It's, it's funny how those narratives come back around because that was one of Suns fans' favorite talking points. Another of Suns fans' favorite talking points related to a different West Coast team was that, well, DeAndre Ayton missed 25 games because of a suspension. Um, Portland fans, if you if you plug into their thing, are yeah. using the same exact argument with Yusuf Nurkic um, as a means to say that that's why they'll be right mm. in the fourth, fifth seed contention this year. And, and they might be right. They very well could be right. Um, yeah. So it's it's just interesting how, like, if you take a closer look at what all these fan bases are saying, they basically always come around to having pretty similar arguments. And only one or two teams can be right, and the rest of them are going to be wrong. So we'll see yeah. how it shakes out. Yeah. Hey, we're wrong all the time, but it's still fun. I mean, we were, we did pretty well on our last over-under uh, episode as far as the, our predictions. We did pretty well. But uh, MVP votes, I'm also going to go over. I think there's a chance. I think even just one vote, like that's all it's going to take to hit this over. Um, I think he will. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I'll give him. I don't think he's going to be in the serious conversation, but that's not hard to get one fifth place vote. There's usually ten-ish players a year to yeah. get one. I mean, hey, he was the either the best or second best player in the bubble, only an eight game yeah. sample or whatever. But listen, it matters. It show, he showed that he can belong in that conversation. Yeah, and look, if we're getting if we're picking over twenty eight point five points per game, <laughs> and you know we're going to talk about wins in our next. I have two more categories here, and then we'll be done. But. Uh, we're going to talk about wins next and, and we'll see where we fall on this one. I think it's a really interesting number. 
But yeah, if, if he's averaging like 29 points per game on a team that's over 50%, you know, win percentage, one fifth place MVP vote is not hard to get. You just have to have one writer who just happened to watch a lot of Suns games, which they will now. Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, Kevin O'Connor, <laughs> he gets a vote. He might put, you know. That's your, that's your guarantee right there. I should have just answered initially saying Kevin O'Connor will vote for Devin Booker. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All three of us. Going can I, can there. I just say though, like so far we're making a statistical argument for, for Devin Booker to actually be in like the top two, he needs to average like 30 points per game. And he, if the Suns need to be a contender, we'll talk about wins in a sec, but like, does the addition of Chris Paul, because it's all about narratives. Does the addition of Chris Paul, to what extent will that take away from, from his name? I don't think it will. I don't, I, I I don't think he's averaging 30 points a game. Yeah. Honestly, I think he could average just 0.4 points per game more. Like if he's up to 27 points per game, but the Suns are the second seed in the NBA, you know, I still think he could be in the top two conversation there because all that matters is winning. And when you're winning and you have you're averaging close to 30 points per game, you're going to be in the MVP conversation. That's just how it works. But you know, Giannis is probably going to win again because the stats are always unbelievable, and that's Mm -hmm. that's really what it boils down to. And that team's going to be good. And he has a two-way argument, which Booker will never have. He could be yeah. a better defensively for sure, especially on a team like this. It's competitive, but he's not obviously ever going to be Giannis. Yeah. The defense is fascinating too, right? Because I was sort of, when I first thought about it, I thought this could be an average defensive team, top five offensive team in my mind. But then I thought about that starting lineup. There's really no, like Devin Booker's the only, if we're, if we're factoring in Jay Crowder into that starting lineup, Devin Booker's the only bad defender in that starting lineup. Otherwise, it's Chris Paul, nine-time all-defensive player, you know, Devin Booker, then you got Mikhail Bridges, could be one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. Jay Crowder could be one of the best power forward defenders in the NBA. And then DeAndre Ayton could be one of the best center defenders in the NBA. Yeah. It, defensively, it's pretty good. And this I is think that's... Go ahead, go ahead. I just think it's it's one of the things that's most beautiful about kind of James Jones's strategy this year is he sneakily assembled a, such a competent roster that you didn't even notice that all of a sudden they could be a top 10 defensive team. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. And, and, and Booker's your weak link. I think you can get away with that. It's not like Trey Young where you can just attack him over and over and over because he just has no chance. Booker's yeah. got size. He's got athleticism to an extent. Yeah. He'll be fine as the, as the worst guy on the floor. Yeah, and Booker's problems have never really been one-on-one defense, like isolation defense. Right. I think he'll, he'll be okay in those scenarios. Might get into foul trouble. There's where we sort of rely on those superstar calls at some point um, because that's where I hope he doesn't fall into. So, the wins number is fascinating. It's set at 38.5. This is kind of hard to, to uh, factor in the 72-game season at this point. By the way, I don't recommend anyone bets on the wins number because the season's going to be weird. And look, they only release half the schedule. We don't even know what the second half's going to look like or how many games it's going to be. There's going to be a lot of things that factor into this. But 38.5 is what it's at. That's a 53% win rate, essentially, which is equal to basically 44 wins in a regular 82 game season. Uh, you know, when I saw that number, I thought, yeah, I would pick over. Like I'm, I'm, I think they, they're like a 48, 49 win team in a regular season. And that's, I almost feel like that's a conservative guess on, on what they're going to be. Uh, which makes me doubt myself, to be honest, when I look at this <laughs> yeah. number, it, it makes me think, am I off? Like, am I way off in this prediction? Uh, Max, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I think they're going to be really, really good. I just I just look at the roster and there's not a whole lot of holes in it other than maybe backup point guard. we got to figure something out there, especially if there's an injury. But other than that, I mean, it's really, really solid roster with stars on it. I mean, we all think Booker's take a leap. I have them at 44, which equates to about 50 wins. I just think, I think they're that good of a team, man. They're just, there's not, it's, 
it sounds weird to say because it's the Phoenix Suns and they've been so bad for so long, but when you actually look at the roster, it's hard to poke a lot of holes in it. Yeah, it really is. You know, what I what I look at right now when I every once in a while I go on Facebook, just I don't know why, but but <laughs> what I do when I do when I do that, one of the things I make sure to do is just read Facebook comments on Phoenix Sports articles, specifically Suns articles. And and I do that because I feel like it takes me away from my Twitter and Reddit echo chamber a little bit and kind of puts me into the <laughs> puts puts me into the mind of, you know, your average Joe a little bit more. And a lot of them just don't buy into the hype going into this season because it's the Phoenix Suns and we've been let down for a straight decade. And I think like those of us who are very online in Phoenix Suns communities have noticed more interest and more engagement, but it does seem like there there are um, there's a big group of naysayers still. So Max, like if they win 50 games, you know, at what point in the season do we actually kind of start to to see this tides turn and maybe they become the talk of the town again and people are like, wait, are you watching Suns games? This is for real. What do you think it would actually take for, for that to happen? So it's got to be, so, I mean, it'd be similar to the start of last season, but sustained, right? So we're, we're getting to halfway through the season and the Suns are the four or the five seed or something like that. I think that's when people start to get, Onto it, yeah. The Suns—that's really Phoenix's team. It's been the most popular team in Phoenix for a long time. I mean, maybe the Cardinals surpassed them now because we've been so bad for so long. But that's still there. And I think you know, people on Facebook are just idiots. They're just making—they're just saying that because the team's been bad for a long time. They—they're not saying that for any other reason. Um, so again, if you actually look at this team, they're going to be good. And I think that if they—if they—if they don't, you know, if they don't suffer injuries, if they—if they are as good as we think they can be, Booker's a star. All that happens, I think it happens like halfway through the season. Yeah. In my yeah, mind, I can't get behind that. In my mind, Facebook is famous for one thing, Facebook comments. It's being wrong about stuff. <laughs> so if, you, if they're saying that they're not buying into it, that almost makes me more confident in the over. So I'm also picking over. Sam, I don't know if I missed it. Did you pick the over or the under? No, I just kind of rambled for a little bit as I tend to do. <laughs> I'm going to pick the over uh, as well. I'm going to pick the over. I, yeah. think it would be, I think it would be a logical inconsistency of me to like say Devin Booker is going to average 29 and 6 and DeAndre Ayton's going to average 20 and 12. Yeah. And we win, you know, less than a 44 win pace. That doesn't make any sense. So I think it has to be. I don't know if they get to 50. I really hope they do. I would like to say they get to 50. The guy that moves this number the most is Chris Paul. And it's trying to predict how good he's going to be at 35 years old, trying to predict how many games he's going to play at 35 years old. And I will not beat up on anyone for getting this specific category wrong because the season is so unique and weird and we're not sure how guys are going to miss games, what the games are going to be like or anything yet. Uh, Once again, why I don't recommend betting on this specific one, the ones that are about the games played. uh, It's difficult. It's the only one that I had in here that was actually based on the total amount of games played because I just didn't feel comfortable doing a lot of betting on that one. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, if it, just looking at the team and, and my confidence, if they're healthy, I think it's an easy over personally. So that makes me feel good about the over. And one last point to make. Okay, see, won 44 last year. You know, yeah. and, and this roster is better than, than that roster was. Easily. Assuming Chris Paul is just as good. If, if Chris Paul is just as good, I'm very confident that they're I mean, Booker, Booker versus Shea, is, it's no contest. No. Aiden easily matches up with Adams. Um, I, that's an interesting one there, I think. I mean, I think, Adams is a smarter player, no doubt, yeah. but Aiden's, Aiden's got, more versatile Aiden's got the defensively. I think it's like I think it's him. like Gallo is pretty good, so can kind of Cam Johnson sort of live up to that? Yeah. Um, and, Lou Dort is very clearly just, or or Mikhail Bridges is very clearly just Lou Dort, but with a jump shot, like a much better Lou Dort, basically. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. the roster is there for sure. All right, last one. 
Playoff wins. 3.5. I set it at 3.5. Are the Suns going to win a playoff series is essentially the question. If you pick over, you think they could win at least one round. If you pick under, and look, look, no Suns fans listening to this, don't beat up on anyone for picking under in this one. <laughs> for the record, the playoffs are all, always about matchups. So there's no way to predict who they're going to be playing on this one. So if you if you pick under, don't feel bad about it. That's basically what I'm saying. Uh, but do you think that there's a chance the Suns win a playoff series? I'm going to make Sam go first. Been, <laughs> really? I've been making Max one. go first this entire one. time. <laughs> I've been making Max go first this entire yeah, time. Yeah, and I got used to it, and I thought I wouldn't have to answer. Um, <laughs> I would rather do all the other ones first than this one first, for the record. <laughs> yeah, that's why I gave it to Sam. Hey, Ooh. Sam, you're going to get the paycheck for this episode, so. <laughs> I feel like there has to there has to be man there has to be still like a bigger chance that they finish five six seven eight than there is that they finish three four right yeah, yeah. do we do we agree with that do we both agree yeah. with that does home court like, advantage you know, matter by the end of the season too i don't know it uh, well it, yeah i look i i think i think the most likely i would love for the suns to finish top four but i still think the most likely median kind of scenario for this team is five or six not three or four and just based on that alone, I'm going to say they're probably going to be a first-round underdog. So I'm going to take the under. I'd love to be wrong. I would absolutely love to be wrong. But but I think it just speaks to my expectations for this season, high as they are, is just to make the playoffs in the first place. Like I don't think I don't think they have to. Yeah. Um. It's it's nice to have Chris Paul, and it's nice because you know you have to take his legacy seriously. Um. And it makes everyone want to compete for that championship. But with as many variables as there are, and and how much progress there is to be made. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm just not expecting second round mm-hmm. this year necessarily. Max, not an expectation. Think? Yeah. You know, I'm going back to the seven seconds or the last era, the last time we were good. Um, and I'm, I'm remembering all those playoff heartbreaks. I'm going to say we win three games and Chris Paul gets hurt <laughs> in game seven in the first quarter or something like that. But that's, that's just what's going to happen, right? <laughs> uh, it's happened before with Chris Paul specifically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sounds like his first round. Markeith Morris hip checks Chris Paul into the scorer's <laughs> table or something. Yeah. I, you know, uh, the Suns Lakers first round is actually an interesting thing to say because I don't think the, the Lakers are going to push too hard for that one seed. Maybe they'll still get it. They're super good. Uh, but yeah, it's a weird season, and I don't know that LeBron's going to play every game. The best, the ideal scenario for me is like a four or five matchup between the Suns and the and Rockets. Utah. Utah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Utah. Utah's my favorite. I would, I would yeah, cherish like a like, 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 yeah, like if Utah gets the four seed, which is totally possible, and we're five, like that's a matchup I love. Yeah, I love that too. We're not walking away without a victory there. No, that 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 one, I would, I would think the Suns could win, and just because Chris Paul destroys Rudy Gobert, um, and you know what, the Suns have done pretty well against him too. But like, if it was like against idiots. Portland or Denver, you know, like that could go either way. Yeah, I, I think really I agree with that. Houston was a team I said because I think Houston could just, they could get to the enough wins, you know, with as weird as that team is, assuming James Harden stays, they could get to enough wins to be in that four or five spot where the Suns could be in that four or five spot too and then match up against Houston. And I think the Suns could win that one because I think Chris Paul is the smartest player on the on the floor in that series. And, you know, James Harden falls apart in the playoffs pretty regularly. So that's the best possible scenario for me. I'm also going to pick under and, and look, I'm sorry to end it on this, but I'm also going to pick under on here. But I want to say for the record, they could absolutely win a play. This team is built for the playoffs. They're absolutely made to play in the playoffs. They could absolutely win in the playoffs. 
it's just the West is brutal and mm-hmm. the teams are so good and so much depends on matchups. And for the record, I would not be disappointed in a season that somehow ends with a playoff loss that is absolutely still a success in my mind. But there is a lot of teams that I think they could beat. Utah would be so, so fun. Please, Utah. Please. You know what wouldn't be fun is Dallas. That would be a sun shooter apocalypse. Oh, oh, that'd be fascinating. That's, that's Suns have been good against Dallas. It'd them. be great if we beat them. It would not be fun if we lost. Yeah, that's very <laughs> That true. one all comes down, like, Luca's going to bring it in that series. You just know. That yeah. one all comes down to Porzingis. Yeah, because yeah, if Mike Luka and I, rolls his ankle, they're going to be bad. Right. Like, Mike, if he, if he Mike and 10 I, games. Right. We've talked about this before. It's just like Dallas's supporting cast is, is not it. Like, no. you and I are both equally kind of low on losing Seth Curry and bringing in Josh Richardson is no guarantee of bolstering them, I don't think. And, so, and, you know, the injury history of Kristaps Porzingis, I think, has to be factored in. He's not even playing until January, right? I think Carlisle yeah. said. So yeah. we'll see on him. But, yeah, I mean, if he plays, though, I mean, he kind of kicks Aiton's ass. He definitely did in the bubble. Uh, he's so. very good. He was really I mean, good in the bubble. So. Like, that's the type of playoff series where Luka could average 40, 10, and 10, and they still lose to us. Like, yeah. I can see that. yeah, true. Yep. All right. That was, that was fascinating. A lot of interesting stuff. I think, if anything, we proved there's a lot of optimism for this season. From us, and I think from a lot of Suns fans outside of Facebook, uh, it's going to be a fascinating <laughs> season. I'm very excited for Chris Ball. I'm very excited for um, Devin Booker. It seems like we're all pretty optimistic about what DeAndre Ayton could do on this team. And, you know, that's pretty good right there. Just factoring in those three guys as your top three guys. Max, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you coming on. Don't forget to follow Max on Twitter at MaxMCC11, I believe. Anything else that you want to plug, Max? No, you, you got it right. Uh, I don't have anything to plug anymore. I'm not a podcast. So all I'll say is that uh, everybody, you know, these are, these are stressful times, obviously, a lot going on. I just say, follow DeAndre Ayton's advice. Read a book. Don't, don't <laughs> doom scroll your Twitter all day. Don't get all lost in the news. You know, get, you know try, to, try to be healthy with your mind. Meditate a little bit. That's all I'll say. That's I good advice. That. That's good advice. Uh, We'll be back next week. Pretty soon, we're going to be talking about some actual live basketball that's played preseason soon. So uh, we'll be back soon. All right. What's popping? What's popping? All right, DeAndre. We need to fix our faces. We got CB3 in Arizona. Y'all tripping. We got Chris Paul in Phoenix. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.